Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. I've done hundreds of them now, and if this is new to you and you'd like to check out previous ones, go to batgap.com and look under the past interviews menu, where you'll see all the other ones archived in various ways. This program is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. If you appreciate it and feel like supporting it to any degree, there is a PayPal button on every page of the site and also a donations page that explains what to do if you don't like PayPal. Because some people don't like it. Um, my guest today is Richard Scholler. And Richard is a medium and uh, he lives on Long Island. And I was joking with him before the show that uh, there must be something in the water out there because there's him, there's John Edward, there's Teresa Caputo. And it's like, and he actually had a serious answer to that question. <laughs> so, I'm not going to read a long um, bio of Richard because we're going to get his bio as we go along. He'll tell his story. Um, but I want to start with a question, Richard. Um, a friend of mine who always gives me a hard time in a way that I actually appreciate, and you know that kind of friend, right? She said, I see that tomorrow is, morning is a rendezvous with the dead. Can't wait. You really are providing better enter entertainment than Netflix. Nothing to do with awakening, but fun nonetheless. And the reason I actually wanted to ask you that is that the theme of this show is conversations with spiritually awakening people and the whole idea about enlightenment and, you know, spiritual awakening like that. And many people would consider um, mediumship or talking with the people who've passed over as being tangential to that, not directly germane to that. And yet I know that you have a very strong spiritual core in your in your life as well, and it's actually kind of what got you started in this whole medium thing. So how have you answered that question for yourself, the, the relevance of what you're doing to the idea of spiritual awakening or enlightenment? So first, I'm, I'm amused. I think um, I'm amused because the experience of spiritually awakening people, we can't discount the men and women who have passed from this life mm -hmm. as awakening in their process. Right. Uh, I've been working as a medium now 20, 21 years, and when people from the spirit side of life come through in a message, uh, when I'm doing an individual session, uh, there might be remorse in the way uh, um, a relationship ended, in um, uh, understanding of each other, and so um, I don't want to discount the men and women who have passed from this life, our family and friends, from their spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all spiritually awakening, ourselves and our family and friends who have passed from this life into the next. It changed the the whole process of uh, opening to my mediumship, changed the way I view the world yeah. and also helped me to come into a better understanding of who I am, how I operate and how I can help others to let go of some of their past, help them move through some uh, difficulties perhaps, and hopefully move them in towards a path, path of understanding and more awareness for self. Yeah, that's a good answer. Part of the way I answered that question for myself was that to me, you know, spiritual awakening or evolution toward enlightenment or whatever is not just about realizing or cognizing one's innermost true nature. But it's also about understanding how the universe works. And I've encountered people in interviews who I feel have a pretty clear glimpse or even an abiding 
appreciation of their of pure consciousness of their true nature but mm -hmm. who in my opinion have kind of wacky ideas about how the universe works you know for instance they would completely they, there's some who would say there nothing happens after you die it's it's lights out there is no soul or person or entity who continues in any way shape or form and i, I think your experience and that of many 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 others belies that and so you know has is their spiritual awakening really mature if they could harbor such a misunderstanding if that is a misunderstanding or be so close-minded so close as irene just added now you're speaking of people who have crossed over if no, no, they're talking um, about people who um, let's say i've interviewed who are on this side because i don't have the ability to interview people who've crossed over uh, <laughs> let's set that up for another another interview yeah, we'll have to do that. in fact i could use you sometimes you know i like to interview right. ramana maharshi or something right, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, and who's, who say, now, you know, there is no person, therefore there is no re reincarnation or there is no life after bodily death because that would imply the existence of a person, you know, that kind of attitude. We're bringing this to a simplistic explanation, and I am stating it's simplistic. I've told this story a thousand times. When, when I opened to this awareness, I was 33, I didn't tell my parents for two years. And with my mother when i when she looked at me she, over coffee and cake in her kitchen she said what's going on with you you're you're looking around the kitchen like there you know there's something else going on and i explained to them i have this ability now her response to that was i don't believe it when you're dead you're dead so that was her flat out response right and she said prove it to me now two parts to this explanation one I'll tell you the story of the information that I shared with her at the time, but I want to be clear, I can't prove and I don't feel any medium can prove to another person. It's not my job to prove to you that life continues, but I believe it's our job as, in, as mediums to present the information and to allow for you as the client to take the information and prove it to yourself, so to speak. So jumping back. I turned to my mother, she said, prove it to me. And I said, I've got your aunt Sophie here. Now her aunt died a year before I was born. I'd never met the woman. I described aunt Sophie and my mother discounted the photograph. She said, um, uh, she discounted the description. She said, you could have seen a photograph of her wearing that outfit. And I looked at her and I said, your aunt Sophie's telling me she and uncle Billy weren't married. My mother jumped up from the table in that moment. She slammed her fist on the table. She said, that's a family secret. Who told you? <laughs> you said Aunt Sophie. <laughs> I, exactly. So the point of that is, now that was 1999. Over the course of a couple of years, my mother would start to question me. And in her awareness over time, she's come to an understanding or uh, at least she has some comfort in the belief that there might be something more now where she didn't originally. So I use I use it's a personal experience, but that's true for me with people who come to me for individual sessions. It's I can only present the information that their family's presenting and I can't prove it to them. Some people will walk out and, you know, discount, pull it apart and still feeling very comforted but I it, to answer your question it feels like the proof is they're coming to an understanding of this process yeah well yeah. you know proof is a very strong word and it has a lot of finality to it and I always like to think of 
things that we don't really understand fully or that aren't universally accepted as being like scientific hypotheses you know mm. and uh so for instance i mean there's so many things that science has gotten greater and greater confidence about over the centuries and you know in, in recent decades but scientists themselves are reticent to use the word proof because by definition in the scientific method anything that sort of ref, uh, you know refutes a uh, hypothesis kind of can disprove it so things are sort of you you add evidence more and more and more but you can never say right. with 100% certainty that such and such is so because there could always be the possibility of, of a refutation based upon experience Mm -hmm. You know, and so what you're doing is adding evidence and, and a lot of other sort of scientific researchers like you, quote unquote, are adding evidence and there's there's pretty good body of it by now. Yeah, I agree with you. There is a good body of evidence and there's good information. And uh, I understand what you're saying about using the word proof. Fair assessment. But yeah. uh, I always hope that the work that we're doing as mediums is uh, helpful in helping to make people's lives easier and better. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, better living through chemistry, as the, <laughs> that old company used to say. It's like anything that's I think, adds genuine understanding to the human understanding of how the universe works helps to make life better. Yeah. You know, and if, if a large percentage of the population are running around feeling that they, they are only their body and when that dies, that's the end, that could be that must be very frightening for them. And it's not necessarily a, an accurate view of how the universe actually works. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. So um, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so in terms of what's next, let's talk about how you got started with this whole thing. As, as I recall, you told the story that you were in some medita meditation class and then boom, take it from there. Yeah, I started, I used to be a funeral director. Mm-hmm. And after 16 years of working in funeral industry, I decided that it was time to uh, start attending meditation classes to decom de decompress. And uh, I also had a fascination with the spiritual realm. I can't deny that because growing up, I, I considered becoming a priest at one point. Anyway, uh, so I started attending med meditation classes as a way of decompressing. And one night I came home. Uh, walked into my apartment and I started to feel like I was having a heart attack because my heart started to pound and race through my chest and the room started to look like it was getting pins and needles um, um, black and white television when it would go to snow mm -hmm. I was starting to see that in front of me and with that all four of my grandparents showed up in my bedroom hmm. now I had known them I had relationships with them my uh, for a while, uh, to my late teens, they, that's when they started to pass. And my logical mind was, you're dead. I can see you. I'm on my way out. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on the floor crying because I'm thinking I'm dying at age 33. And after a little while, they said, no, you're not dying. You can just see us now. So with that, uh, the last thing I said to them is, what do I do with this? And they looked at me and said, don't worry, you'll find out. And they left. Now, when you say they showed up, were they like ghostly apparitions or were they, did they, were they quite solid? Um, you know, I mean, how, in what way, shape or form did they show up? They showed up where I saw them clairvoyantly. <clears throat> I felt them clairsentiently. Mm -hmm. They weren't ghostly apparitions, no. 
as silly as it sounds, the way I'm seeing you right now on this uh, Skype screen is the way I'm, I saw them. They seem that solid. Yeah. Like if if you were in, well, you were in the same room with them. Uh, I mean, if you and I were in the same room, we could shake hands or something. Were they that, did they seem that physical? They seemed that uh, uh, solid and real to me. They were not uh, physically manifest or physically materialized. Uh -huh. But they were clairsentiently and clairvoyantly manifest and clairsentiently and clairvoyantly uh, uh, materialized in that way. Okay. So they weren't like sitting on the couch in the room with you, but they were there in another dimension and right. every, much, every bit as real as the couch. Right. They weren't sitting on the couch and they weren't hovering in the air. They were standing in front of me. Yeah. yeah. But just in a slightly different dimension or something. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And um, it was... It was it was life changing. It was amazing. I can so, imagine. Had you ever had anything like this before in your life? Well, no. At that point, I hadn't recalled it. But if I, since you're asking the question, the same day I told my mother, my father was sitting at the kitchen table, and God bless him, he looked at me, he burst out laughing, he said, "Jesus Christ!" He said, "Promise me one thing." He said, "You won't wear a shawl or carry a crystal ball." <laughs> So I laughed at him. I said, no, I have no intention of doing that. He asked me to prove it to him, too. And I described a German aunt of his who died in the 1950s. He shook his head. Um, he said, that's correct, but I, I could imagine you saw her in a picture. I described Sundays in the summer. She, the, he and his brothers would take a subway over to her apartment after church. She'd put them on the subway, take them to Coney Island. And he got very attentive. He looked at me and said, okay, you've got my attention. He said, she wants me to remind you that her favorite part was yours. And he said, okay, well, what's that? And I said, she's telling me marching you into Needix for orange sodas and hot dogs. Hmm. Now, my father was a drill instructor in the Marines. And when I told him that, second time in my life, I saw him cry. Hmm. He said, I never told you that. I said, no, your aunt's telling me right now. Now, the reason for this story is to uh, answer your question. He looked at me and he said, did you always have this? Now, here I am, 35, sitting in the chi my childhood home in the kitchen, and I flash back to my bedroom. And I looked and I said, when I was six, six or five, I used to call you both into my bedroom every night because I was seeing people walk through the walls. Mm -hmm. One night I screamed out loud, leave me alone, and it stopped happening. So I feel, and I've said this many times, I feel the spiritual realm has waited until I had enough ego strength to deal with their presence, and they showed back up. So, yeah, that, to answer your question, five or six was when I had awareness of it, but I shut it down. Yeah. I think you used a couple of the Claire words a minute ago. Claire audience, Claire... Voyance, Claire sentient. Claire sentient. And yeah. um, obviously that kind of thing can happen in the earthly realm as well as in, you know, across the divide into the spirit realm. In fact, people listening might be interested to know that the whole Bhagavad Gita was supposedly dictated by a clairaudient, clairvoyant person um, who was relating to his king, in whose court he served, what was happening on this battlefield many miles away. The whole because mm. He wasn't sitting in the chariot taking notes with Krishna and Arjuna. He was seeing the whole thing at a distance and relaying what was happening. Wow. So that kind of thing happens in traditional spirituality as well. Absolutely. Yeah. But in, uh, do you have anything like that in terms of the 
just the earth plane or is it with you is it exclusively sort of other side stuff um well <laughs> is that a, yeah. like a tricky question or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I'm not walking around in the world with my myself awareness open so that as I'm walking down the street I can see somebody's relatives but I also have moments that I because of my sensitivity there are moments where I have a sense of things and um so the answer is yeah but it's it's a little bit of both yeah but again it's it's most of the time I'm operating in um service to the people who come to see me but there are times where i have a sensitivity and awareness of things that are going on around me and i just uh, pay attention to it yeah um it's it's fascinating because if you had told me 20 21 years ago that i was going to be doing this um with my life i wouldn't believe that i was i was working full time as a funeral director and at that point it was oh god how many years 17 16 17 years and i thought i was going to do that for the rest of my life uh, when i went into it so the ability to use this in hopes for as i said before a way of helping and uh, serving it, it it changed my life i i've met a lot of amazing people along the way too that have been spiritual teachers to me to help see more than just just the spiritual realm and uh open more awareness to consciousness um, such as I, what Samuel and Linda uh, Bonder Whom I've I believe yeah a uh, couple times uh, I had an amazing experience at an institute of noetic sciences uh, transfiguration retreat with them in opening conscious awareness mm -hmm. and um it was utterly amazing. It happened in the presence of Linda. Mm -hmm. This was not mediumistic as in um you know my grandma showing up this was me having the experience of conscious awareness and consciousness yeah sure and um i hold both Samuel and Linda in my heart they're amazing people and they helped me to understand more of myself in the world and more of consciousness and myself connected as consciousness and to consciousness yeah, that kind of harkens back to the question I asked you in the beginning about the relationship of this to spiritual awakening. <clears throat> and uh, so I think Irene's passing me a question here. Let me ask you this question, then we'll get back to that. Do most people who you read need healing with the departed soul or souls? How does it help them to move on? Does that you understand the question? Understood completely. Thank you for the question. Mm -hmm. um, I can't. I can't qualify whether it's most. I can tell you that a lot of people do come to me because there's there's uh, some people come because they're the relationship of uh, of the loss. Uh, unfortunately, parents losing children due to accidental circumstances uh, or otherwise, and I've gotten in response from some people emails saying that that it's helped to ease their grief knowing that the relationship to their loved one hasn't ended but there's also some people who as a client have come with the hope for some healing to occur relationally um, uh, 
Um, yeah, like if you didn't get along with your father or something, exactly. and then he died, and and you 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 and he both feel remorseful about it, but you're disconnected because he's died. And, Absolutely, you, know, you can help to reconcile. There's there's been even since you brought up fathers, let's use the father example. Uh, I feel every child needs their acknowledgement from their father, right? And um, there have been fathers who do do their time or their personality or their circumstance didn't do that. And uh, a lot of times fathers will come through, not every father, but a lot of times they'll come through and make acknowledgement uh, that they didn't give the nod or the the acceptance or understanding of their child, you know, and that's that's helped them and uh, them meaning the the father in the spiritual realm and the client. I think Luna wants to get up. You want to get up, Luna? Okay, there you go. Here's Luna. Hi, Hi. Luna. Hey, oh wow! Isn't she cute? Absolutely. Yeah. First of all, I want to say, if it's not inappropriate, I don't know if this ever happens to you during interviews, but if, if something should come through regarding me, Irene, or whatever, while we're doing this, you have our permission to bring it up. But I'm not sort of asking for that. I'm just saying if it happens, that, that Thank would, you. would make it very interesting. Um, my mother was a real character, and she would have loved... Uh, <laughs> she would have loved this whole thing. So best that you don't tell me anything more. Okay. okay? Yeah. So this way Everybody's is a way. Everybody's a character, so I didn't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> but this way, it's best that you don't tell me details or anything about her, just in case something else comes through. All right. Sure. Okay. Great. And I'm open to that. If she were to show up or uh, anyone for Irene, I'll keep you posted. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to loop back a little bit to what you're saying about Samuel and Linda, just mm. be just because. I mean, to put this in, to, put, to help, again, put the interview in, con in the context of this show, obviously what you experienced with them and what many people listening to this will understand is that, um, you know, consciousness in its sort of ground state or, or simplest form is unbounded and universal, and that, that's our true nature. That's what we are. And, and so they, people listening to this show are accustomed to thinking of that as, you know, something they aspire to experience in an abiding way. But in addition to that, spiritual literature of every culture is, is replete with um, examples of people who have realized that, but then have unfolded all sorts of latent abilities. You know, I mean, the Bible and the Vedic literature and the Buddhist literature and everything else is full of examples of people who have done that possibly before realizing their, their true nature is consciousness or possibly afterwards. But I just wanted to throw that out there as something to put this in context. See, so the way I perceive things in, again, I feel still a student. I'm still in a process of understanding and learning myself in life and uh, beyond, I would say. As are we and, all. Right. <laughs> and in that, as awareness, having the awareness of the spiritual realm moving towards uh, from this life into the next life, I don't feel that that's the end of our evolution as being. Right. Yeah. And um, even though, you know, um, a relative uh, may come back from the spirit side of life to communicate uh, something in the way of uh, closing out a relationship or giving healing or comfort or expressing love or. Mm -hmm or uh, reminding people that there's more than this life, I believe it's an evolutionary upward spiral. And I believe 
that we're all moving towards the all, the the, the sense of all being, and yeah. move into the ground of all being at that point. Mm -hmm. What's your take on reincarnation? Ah, <laughs> great question. So. One of my early experiences right before I opened my mediumistic uh, uh, awareness was I was at a, um, a, a psychotherapeutic retreat up at Shalom Mountain Retreat and Study Center in um, Livingston Manor. Um, I was doing this retreat as a way of grieving the end of a relationship. And I went up a day early and did yoga for the first time. Never did it before. And this was back in 1995. Um, the leader, uh, Lawrence Stibbards, was the leader of the retreat at that point, and he just said, all right, breakfast will be in 10 minutes, just sit and enjoy the music. So I'm sitting in this meditation room, I close my eyes, and my 1995 being comes back across the Civil War. I see a Civil War soldier, and I had this experience happen to me. Now again, I was in it. I opened my eyes after about 20 minutes and a friend of mine, um, Ted, was sitting across from me. He said, I don't know where you went. He said, but as you closed your eyes, light just started to fill the room. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounded lovely. Mm -hmm. But I looked down and my whole t-shirt had been soaked. I didn't realize I had been crying the whole time. Mm -hmm. The short of it was I had this experience of a Civil War soldier and um, you know, the question was, was that me and reincarnated experience, uh, a reincarnation at that time? The woman I had left the war for was the previous partner I had just uh, ended relationship with in this experience. And so I believed it was a reincarnation experience. Now, I've had mediumistic teachers uh, tell me that was the spirit of someone who resonated with your life experience and showed you those things. I'm in a place of still still weighing it out. I'm mm -hmm. still weighing it out after 21 years. So what's your take on reincarnation? I'm curious. Well, I'll tell you in a second, but first I want to ask you, have you ever read Michael Newton's books? Michael Newton, no. Yeah. Um, He's this guy who wrote two or three books, uh, and he had been a psychologist of some sort and had been you know, doing... Um, regression, hypnotic regressions with people. I guess he was doing past life regressions or something. And um, then he started finding that people were popping into the p period between lives. Brian Weiss had done some of this also. Yeah. And so he made that his specialty. And he did thousands of these hypnosis mm -hmm. things where people went to the period between lives. And he found a, a great degree of um, corroboration between everyone's accounts and pretty much and kind of like mapped out the whole thing and came up with a cosmology of what happens when we die and what the stages we go through between lives and then the process of being reincarnated again. And, and I just thought I'd throw that in there because it's interesting. But my take on it, it, it resonates with me. I, I mean, I have friends who say, no, it doesn't work that way, and I've had some sort of cognition that confirmed that for me. But it just appeals to me logically, and uh, it's like, like I was saying earlier, it's a, it's a scientific hypothesis like everything is for me, for which there seems to be a fair amount of evidence and logic, and I'm open to it being disproven, but I, I kind of like resonate with the notion of the soul evolving over a long span of time and mm -hmm. one lifespan is not adequate for the amount of evolution that uh, we're, we're capable of. Mm -hmm. 
It, it, um, you reminded me when you said Michael Newton and you started to describe his work, I'm also thinking of, uh, it is Brian Weiss, right? Many Masters, Many Lives. I've heard the, of the book. I haven't yeah. read that one. And um, I'm glad you, you uh, I just wrote down um, Michael Newton uh, as, a, as a resource to look into. I'm fascinated by the work. Uh, I remember Brian, Mast uh, Brian, Weiss, Brian Weiss's books. Um, also, trying to remember... I think Michael's books are called Life Between Lives or something like that. That sounds familiar yeah. now. But it still fascinates me as a topic. It, it, it makes me think. It makes me wonder. And at the same time, uh, I'm still, still, yeah. still, yeah. That's a good attitude. I mean, you know, I don't think we should just cling on to beliefs without any sort of evidence. And, uh, right. you know, this, I, I kind of see the whole... I mean, life is like a big one big scientific experiment where we're forming hypotheses and then checking them out. You know, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting that you were a funeral director. I mean, what better occupation to be in if you're going to start getting psychic? Although it might have been a little bit of a conflict of interest. I mean, it might have been gotten a little too crowded in there for comfort. All right. So, uh, story again. I didn't know I was going to be a funeral director. Growing up, my father used to say to my sisters and I, when you get into high school, I want you to think about what you're going to do with your life. If you go out into the workforce, he said, I would help buy your first car. If you go into college, he said, I'll try to you know, pay for your education. And then looking at me, he'd say, and if you don't know what you want to do, I'll put you into the Marines. <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah. Oh, brother was right. I was, I was clear as a kid. There was no yeah. way I wanted to be a Marine. I just didn't want to. But with that, at my grandfather's wake, my father said to me, joking around, why don't you become an undertaker? No one will ever talk back to you. And he burst out laughing. <laughs> That's <Right>. pretty good. <laughs> but at, at 17, I went into funeral service. I yeah. started working at the local funeral home because I was fascinated. I wanted to know what happened to our souls when we died. Right. And I also, also wanted to please my father. I knew he would be proud of that. And let me guess, you became a medium and they started talking back to you. So, 19, yeah, so there's truth to that statement. Um, but again, that was what taught me how to shut it off. Uh -huh. yeah. I was standing at the funeral of a woman. Uh, I was in the funeral home shortly after I opened to my ability. And um, the woman that I was about to bury was in the chapel in the casket, her physical body. My hearse driver was downstairs and she came waltzing out. She starts to sing to me, I know you can hear me. Like, I know you can hear me. Like exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, oh no, I'm losing my mind. So mentally, uh, in my head, I send back the thought, yeah, I can hear you, but you need to go back into the chapel. She said, well, you got to tell my husband my legs don't hurt. So mentally, I send the thought back to her, I don't know who your husband is because I hadn't met the family yet. She said, don't worry, you will. And she flashed a picture of her husband into my mind. The limousine pulls up, the limo driver opens the back door and this gentleman steps out. So my mind is, I can't say anything. I could, you know, get in trouble. This is not my scope of business. At the end of the funeral, she's standing next to me the whole time. At the end of the funeral, she says, tell him. And all I said to him as I was saying goodbye, I said, I, I bet your wife's legs don't hurt anymore. And the man, the man started sobbing. Yeah. He said, that's what caused her the most pain right before she died. 
And I looked at him, I said, she's in a much better place. And I shook his hand and I went to the hearse and said, I can't do this. I can't because uh, my fear of, you know, uh, would they tell the manager, would I lose my job? This is not really my appropriate scope of practice. So I, I learned how to shut it off while I was working mm. because I didn't want to walk in and start preparing a de deceased body for viewing and have them standing next to me talking to me about their life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Irene's laughing, but it's true. And I mean, even there were times where I'd walk in and I would see the person who was about to be buried after I opened to my ability and I just mentally said, can't do this, you know? I'll, I'll give you, uh, I can't use her name, I'll give you one more example though. I was in Manhattan uh, having lunch with a friend and I was walking on the Upper West Side and the, I'll just say a famous movie actress who had passed away said to me, you got to take a left here. Now she was in spirit. I'm standing at the corner after having lunch walking back uh, downtown and I mentally said, I can't do that. And she's, my husband's going to walk out of the door. You have to tell my husband I'm okay. Mm. So here is this famous movie actress. Her husband's a famous movie actor. He lives on the Upper West Side, she's telling me. And mentally, I sent the thought back. I said, I'd love to help you, but it's not my job. If your husband wants to know you're okay, put the people who know me, who know you into his life to talk about me. Mm. And if he comes to me, then I'll tell him. Mm -hmm. So the, the point is so learning from me. that way? It didn't, to oh, be honest okay. with you. Yeah. But I've had other, I've been fortunate enough to have other experiences um, where there have been some fascinating people in history who have come through. Mm -hmm. um, but let me hold that thought for a quick second. Okay, don't, don't forget to come back to it. Sounds interesting. Promise, thank you, I promise I won't. The point of that being is, again, Yes, I want to be of service, but unless somebody walks up to me and sits down with me for an appointment or something, that's the service I'm meant to provide. I don't feel that it's my job to walk up to people yeah, in town. Yeah, in your face, you know? Yeah. Um, well, now, Teresa Caputo does that all the time. She'll be in a laundromat or something or a, a restaurant and she'll walk up to somebody and say, well, you know, I happen to be a, mute, a medium and somebody's coming through. But it's obviously staged because there's cameras there, you know, so right. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that. I would tend to think that that's the way her, pro well, we've, I've seen her program about three times now, yeah. and that is the way she presents her program. And I tend to think that's the way, she, well, it shows that that's how she operates in the yeah. world. And, you know, that's that's her way of operating. But I'm pretty clear that my experience is, unless you come to me, I, I want to live in the world with you, hang out with you, and not all of your deceased relatives, you yeah. know? Um, but jumping back to the other part of that story, uh, I was sitting in England, I was doing a, client, a reading for a client, and all of a sudden I had this person of note uh, in history walk in. So my personal side goes, I'm thinking mentally, wow, this is really crazy. Yeah. And the gentleman says, tell her I said hello. I said, okay. I said, I have a man here. He wants me to say hello. She said, okay, who is it? I said, well, before I tell you who is it, he's telling me that he used to sit um, with your father and discuss the war. She says, well, my father was very high up in the war effort in politics. 
And I said, well, I have Winston Churchill here. And she looked, she says, yeah, he was, he was an uncle. He said, not, not a blood uncle, but he was an uncle to us. He would spend dinners at my home discussing the war with my father. It's funny, when you said famous person, I thought Winston Churchill for some reason. Now. There you go. <laughs> Weird. We're on the same wavelength right now. <laughs> yeah, so, but the point of that, even that story, it was, it was fascinating. But the point of that is there had to be a connection. You know, Winston Churchill wouldn't just show up yeah. for me. Right. But because he was related to the woman and had an important story to tell the woman, ultimately, huh. it made perfect sense to her. Um, here's a question from my friend Frances Bennett, who's been on BatGap a number of times. Um, she says, well, since childhood, I have experienced any number of contacts with and communications from beings in other dimensions, such as angels, devas, even demons, etc. I have never directly experienced any contact with departed loved ones outside of dreams. For someone with the ability to see into other dimensions already, is there some way of developing or cultivating an ability to communicate with departed loved ones apart from consulting a medium? Yeah, there, if they don't have to necessarily consult with a medium, but if they sit in um, classes for mediumistic development. Um, Francis Bennett, you said? Yes, Francis. First, say thank you to Francis for the question. Okay, so thank you, Francis. So, yeah. Great. Um, with the relationship to devas and or angels and so forth, there are different rates of vibration in the spiritual realm. And um, let's use the example of angels or spirit guides. It's a much a higher rate of evolution and vibration. The spiritual realm in connecting with, let's just use uh, the expression of mom or dad, there are, there's a, a, a slower rate of vibration with mom or dad. And then as we move up into the spiritual realm, the rate of vibration increases. So using a spirit guide, we're dealing with a higher rate of vibration. To answer her question, if she were to sit in a class, or not a class, but if she were to take classes on mediumistic development, she would be able to discern the difference between the energies that she's experiencing and feeling. Hmm. Can you skip energy levels? So like you could like jump to well, some, being able some, to experience a higher level without having experienced the intermediary levels? Some, some people, yeah, some people have no problem going out and experiencing angels. Um, and some people go to uh, angelic guides and some people can sense um, uh, devas. Uh, there are different rates of vibration. But as a medium, for me, it is about going through a rate of vibration. Before, I'll tell this story quickly. Um, when I first went to a spiritualist church here on Long Island, um, the medium got up and it was my first time there. And the medium said to me, oh, I've got a spirit guide with you. And he gave me information. And it was fascinating, but I thought to myself, before I can believe in a spirit guide, so to speak, I need some foundation, I need some understanding. This is all in my own mind. So tell me about my grandmother who had passed. Give me, give me something more solid that I can understand before I'm able to accept something about something I don't understand fully yet. Mm -hmm. So do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah. So the point of this is, with Francis's question, I'm, I'm thrilled for her that she can sense uh, angels and Davis and so forth. 
different rate of vibration. If she sits with a medium in a mediumistic class, a development class, they'll help her be able to get to a certain rate of vibration. Mm -hmm. But yes, to answer your question, yes, people can skip the levels. Some people just go out easily into the the uh, ether. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about Frances. Uh, when she first told me about this ability, we were at a conference in California, a science and non-duality conference, and uh -huh. she, she had said to me that she was seeing, like, all the, routinely, beings around people, kind of attending to them in some way. Didn't know what they were doing, but just saw them as a matter of fact. So, like, then we were at the San Francisco airport preparing to fly home, and um, we were in an elevator, and I kind of whispered, you know, anybody any in, in this elevator? <laughs> and she kind of just didn't say anything. And we got off the elevator, and she said, they just came to me and said, don't tell people about us. If they're meant to see us, they'll see us. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, here's a question from Irene. Assuming this has been your experience on occasion, do you have any theories as to why, in some readings, no one comes through? Does this indicate anything about those souls or about the person receiving the reading? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Thank you, Irene. There are times where, in my experience, I can't read for somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been clear that I've said it out loud uh, to the client. I'll say, look, I'm sorry. It's lovely to meet you, but I'm not able to connect for you. Um, there are times where I, I can't say that no soul has come through. Um, it just may be that I'm not able to read for the client, but it's not for a lack of having connection to some family members. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch this around, though. But there has been experience where... Some people have said, oh, and any time I've gotten a reading, you know, um, my sister hasn't shown up and she's been deceased for 22 years or whatever. That's just made up story. But people have said that a certain person has never shown up. And that goes to my understanding at this point, which is one, they may choose not to. They may have active choice that they're evolving their spirit and don't feel the desire or need to communicate something through. Uh, or they may not be in that realm. Well, I'm saying the same thing in a different way. They may not be in that realm of communication. Yeah, that's what so, I was going to say. I mean, obviously, the souls don't always hang around in a place where they could be, you know, available for communication, right? They, they, they may have re reincarnated, they may have moved on to some higher realm, so they're no longer in the kind of the way station where they're in touch with Earth. Would, it, would that be true? Yeah. In fact, um, one of my colleagues, Bill Collar, he's oh, yeah, a Scottish... Oh yeah, that's the thing you guys did, yeah. Yeah, Bill, and um, he's he lives in Switzerland, he's a Scottish medium, but he talked about the second, the second death or the second passing, so to speak. I think that was the language he used, but even in the spiritual realm, moving from this place on, so to speak. And it, it makes perfect sense to me that we, again, if we're evolving our spirit or if we're evolving our soul, we may move on and not be present to communication. Yeah. Yeah, I've had other people say to me that time isn't linear and that um, one may have actually reincarnated already and yet still simultaneously, that, that in, in some way all our lives are simultaneous because time isn't as linear as it seems to us. So you could be actually communicating with someone on the other side who has already reincarnated. 
Does that make sense to you? Or? So, yeah, my experience is different in that. I agree with you 100% that time's not linear, and I'm fascinated because one of my teachers from the spirit side of life um, that works with me and uh, the group that I have at home here for higher consciousness has talked about wanting to talk to us about time and how time folds in on itself and how it is nonlinear. So we're all still waiting for that teacher to have that, that talk. That's a side note. In relationship to somebody reincarnating and not, I, I don't feel that the person, uh, the, they may have reincarnated, but I don't feel that the person that is communicating from the spirit side of life is reincarnated because their soul, their essence, their presence is so relevant and uh, present to the communication process. So let's just, um, can I just say your dad for a moment? Can I use sure. your, now your dad, let's use your dad for example, your dad's passed into spirit, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, if your father were coming through in the reading, your father is present. But what they've talked about, some of the teachers have talked about uh, as the soul is a multifaceted aspect, it's much larger than that. So the, the, the presence of your dad is present in the reading. He yeah. is fully present. However, the larger part of the soul may have, may have, reincarnated an aspect of itself back here. But I don't feel that your dad has reincarnated because he'd be communicating through. Yeah. Do you, do you understand the... I think I do, and I, I don't know whether it was Michael Newton or who, but I remember someone saying that um, like a portion of your soul can incarnate and mm -hmm. the rest of it can still be on you know some higher realm or something like that, or that it might even bifurcate and, and be occupying a couple of different lives at, at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, in the Ramayana, Rama... Well, th th that's a little different because they're supposed to be avatars, but Rama was said to be a, f uh, you know, uh, p this percentage of incarnation and then his brother that much and then the other two brothers this much, you know, different portions of the same being kind of incarnating to different degrees in different bodies simultaneously. So we're all getting very esoteric here. And I, right. I, I, I have I agree no what, idea how all this right. <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm basing this uh, on experiences with teachers who have pointed this out as potential or possible. Yeah. But my experience as a medium, dad's here. Yeah. Dad's in spirit. Dad has not reincarnated. One more thought, though, if I may, in sure. going back to your experience, one of the other things that gives me comfort at this point is... Um, something I, I read and uh, felt affirmed with, which was, if there is reincarnation, I'm gonna use your dad or my grandmother, they're not gonna reincarnate until everyone that they've known and loved yeah. has met them in the spiritual realm. Hmm. So that, that made me feel comforted because um, if I were to pass and my grandmother weren't there, I, I've, I've, I've missed seeing my grandmother. So. Yeah. Gave me a sense of comfort, but again, when I pass, I will probably learn more about reincarnation and the aspect of reincarnation, if there is such, and or, you know, was I wrong? Did yeah. Grandma in fact reincarnate? Huh. My attitude would be, let's say, with my mother, hey, I, I'd love to see you, but if, if you really need to reincarnate, if it's time for you to do that, don't don't wait around. You know, I'm, I'll be fine. You'll be fine. Let's you know, keep right. <laughs> don't let yeah. me hang you up. You know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
But I, don't know. I mean, this is all kind of fun and speculative, but it's, it's fun to play Absolutely. with ideas and ponder what might be. Yeah, and you're correct. You're correct. It is. It is esoteric. It is speculative. Let's see when. It, let's see. I'll find out when I cross over, and I'm in no rush for that. Yeah. Yeah. Stick around a while. Here's a question from Dan in London. He asks: Do people that pass gain a wider awareness, a refined sensibility, more compassion, and more consciousness? As a child, I always intuitively felt that people who died gained a much wider perspective. Is this true? Um. Yeah, each to his own understanding, though. Yes. Yeah, we have the potential to expand our awareness. Thank you, Dan, by the way, for the question. Um, we have the potential in the spiritual realm to expand our awareness and our understanding of self, uh, more compassion towards self. Yes, it is a process of spiritual growth. And yet there are people in the spiritual realm who uh, each to his own understanding is the best way I can say it. They, everyone does it in their own time. Relative to their own way. perspective. Exactly. Right. So they don't become Socrates all of a sudden or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When, when I explain to clients if, if an opinion comes through from the spiritual realm, let's say uh, grandma shows up and is giving an opinion, remember it's still an opinion. It's still an understanding of where she is at this point. Yeah. You know, take it, contemplate it, um, but don't don't abdicate your own thought process over yeah. what grandma is sharing. Yeah. So in other words, um, just because you're dead doesn't mean you're smart. Exactly. <laughs> you can use that one. Thanks very much. That really that summed it up in a much easier and uh, more direct way than I was doing. But <laughs> well done, Rick. I have another question, and feel free to interrupt me if I'm interrupting you because we're just f firing back and forth here. But um, when you were still a funeral director and you started picking up on these people, um, were people ever sort of freaked out at the prospect of being put into the crematorium or into the into the ground, you know, having so recently died? Were they still attached to their body and, and a little bit upset about that prospect? No, I didn't have any experience of that. Okay. I did not have any experience of anyone being uh, freaked out or um, nobody being fully attached to their body where they were expressing anything because... Um, I just didn't have it. It wasn't a part of my experience with anyone. Um, I remember preparing one gentleman, and uh, it was 2.30 in the morning. Uh, I had removed him, and he had come with me. And again, this was early on in my mediumistic experience. And I just said to him, I can't have you standing here while I'm doing preparation. And he just said, but I'm fascinated by it. Ah. And that was it. And I said, as long as you don't interrupt me or say anything, you can witness. But please don't engage me in conversation because I can't, I don't wish to do this. And he honored that. But uh, no, nobody freaked out over it. That's interesting. The yeah. guy I interviewed last week, um, Michael Spate, he lives in Utah. And um, he... Uh, said that he was once going by a Mormon cemetery and he just he he, he has subtle perceptions also and he's kind of perceived a an ex kind of an extraordinary amount of souls kind of hanging around and um, apparently his understanding was that in in that religion there's the under, there's the idea that at some point you're going to be resurrected bodily in your mm -hmm. in your original body and so people were sort of attached to hanging around uh, in anticipation of that. Um, 
Does that resonate with your understanding of things? Have you seen people sort of doing that where they're attached to the, the physical form? I can't say no to your question. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that shows that they're still connected to their earthly experience of their understanding of resurrection and <clears throat> their religious experience. But every soul has the... Hmm, Every soul has the ability to move on right upon death. And yeah. um, so I can't say no because I have witnessed it, uh -huh. but not to any great extent. Yeah. And I understand what you said Michael was saying. I understand what, what, he, what he was saying. But upon death, we are immediately in the spiritual realm. And that is a choice that that person or those persons are making. It's an active choice that they're making. Have you ever communicated with people who while they were alive had been adamantly sure that you know there is no life after death and then they die and they're like pleasantly surprised yeah um, I have more than once in a reading looked at somebody and said oh your father your mother your brother whomever the communicator was would think I'm full of baloney and or they would not believe in what I'm doing and um, I've even had the privilege of, as the medium, expressing a specific conversation in front of a fireplace uh, between a father and his son. Um, and I remember the son looking at me saying, we had this conversation. And the reason we were in, the fire, in front of the fireplace was because his hospital bed was in the den by the fireplace. Mm. And he said, my father said, this is it. When I'm gone, I'm gone. So to hear him bringing you back to the fireplace in the den, re recanting this conversation and saying that there's something more gives me uh, more hope and a belief that there is something more. He said he always believed, the son always believed more than the father did. But it gave him even greater comfort in knowing that dad was talking about the den, the fireplace, and the conversation. Mm. So, uh, On the point of um, being able to turn on and shut down this ability, mm. um, I've become friends with Bruce Joel Rubin, whom I interviewed a few years ago and who was the screenwriter for the movie Ghost, um, got, mm. got the Oscar for that. He says that these days he's very open. He'll, he'll walk down the street in New York City or something and he'll just be kind of spontaneously seeing people's chakras and seeing all kinds of subtle stuff and healing people as they go by on the sidewalk, and even people who are behind him that he can't see with his physical eyes. And it's just happening as a sort of an automatic function. It's not something that he has tried to do or is intentionally doing or anything. It's just that he's serving as an instrument in that way. Um, I just, uh, this is a little bit tangential to you, what you do and what you experience, but it's, I think it kind of relates because in, in a way he's saying that he's got something going on that is out of the ordinary that he, he, that he isn't intentionally shutting down, but that doesn't interfere with his life. You know, it, it, he feels like he's serving a useful purpose actually through it. Uh, so relating to what you do, how would you elaborate on what I just said? First, I think, uh, I think it's fantastic that he can walk in the world and be in that space of service. Mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. And yet, for me, specifically the communication process, 
Um, I don't want to be walking into uh, the local Starbucks to get a cup of tea and have uh, the young lady who's next to me's grandmother show up and start talking to me. It's um, intrusive, kind of. Yeah, it's not that I don't want to serve the course, I'm in service, but there's a time and a place and um, the experience of the individual relational communication process needs to start with your desire for it to happen, yeah. not mine. You, do you understand what I mean by yeah. that? It yeah. kind of reminds me of when we go shopping locally and everybody wants to come up to me and talk about bath gap, you know, and Irene, right. Irene is saying, would you tell them to bug off? You know, we're trying to shop. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. If you're sitting at a restaurant having dinner with Irene, you want to sit and enjoy the dinner. And it's not that you don't want to be of service, but um, I had trying to remember who it was recently. Oh, I was uh, in LA visiting my sister and um, one of her friends said to me, if you get anything, let me know. And I've smiled and I said, if I open myself up and anyone shows up, I'll let you know, which was a nice way of saying, I'm not open right now. Right, yeah. You know, I, I've got the do not disturb sign on. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I understand what Irene said too about, you know, bat gap, you're in service, you're doing great work and you still want to be present to your life in this process. Yeah. But I also admire, I'm sorry. No, one no, more. It's, no it's I okay, also please. admire what you said about your friend though, because for, for him, he's clear that he's doing it in a way that feels non-intrusive to his life. Yeah. And maybe so, he could shut it down if he wanted to, but it's just sort of a default mode these days, apparently. Right. And that's great for him. That works for him. Yeah. And I'm sure there are times when it does shut down, you know, mm -hmm. uh, driving in the car or shaving or whatever. There's there must be times when it's just totally not appropriate and, and, you know, and other times when it won't interfere. And so it just happens. I don't know. Yeah. You know. mm. A lot of people say that, you know, they reach a certain state where they really are on automatic and there's not a whole lot of personal manipulation of their experience. It's like they just function in ways that they never would have been able to figure out with their rational mind, but that just um, as if they were, they've become a tool of the divine and the divine mm -hmm. knows how to orchestrate their life, you know? Absolutely. And and I'm, I'm also affirmed in that. I am a tool for the spiritual realm. I am an instrument of the divine. And in the aspect of doing healing work, <clears throat> And in the aspect of doing mediumistic work, the spiritual realm knows when to work with me for that to be happening, yeah. you know? And I think, I really feel that's important. I really feel that's important. Well, I'm repeating myself, no, so. No, it's good. And like with any tool or instrument or an automobile or whatever else, it needs to rest, it needs repair, it needs, you know, you don't just sort of drive it into the ground. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure that, you know, like Ecclesiastes said, there's a, a, a season for everything, I'm, a time right. for this, a time for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Everything under, uh, yeah. Turn, turn, turn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a song, here, a song, here's a question from Elizabeth in the U.S. Uh, she asks, one of your stories brought to mind my own father's passing when I was seven years old. At the wake, all my relatives gathered around his dead body in the casket. I clearly felt his presence hovering up near the ceiling, near the back of the room. 
Though this felt confusing to my mind, from a deeper place, I was absolutely certain that my father was no longer in that body. So my question is, do you think it's valuable to teach children about these sorts of things? I think, yeah, I think our children have a much more sensitive understanding to things spiritual uh, before they become socialized in the world. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I think it's important. I do feel, well, for each parent, each parent uh, should do what is appropriate for them with regard to their children. But in an overall context, I feel, Elizabeth, that teaching children an understanding of life and passing and not shutting down. If you have sensitive children who convey these things to you, pay attention, become more aware, and talk to them about it. I'm, it's important because I feel that as mediumship is a, I'm proud of the work I do, mediumship is a small aspect of being. Ultimately, I want to evolve my soul and spirit to be all that it can be in this life. If we hold that out for even our children, if we want them to grow and be all that they can be in the world, then educating them on all things in whatever way is appropriate to the parent, I'm in favor of. Yeah, you know, the thought that came to my mind when I asked Elizabeth's question is, it's important not to unteach children. You know, right. because the kids are teaching us about this if we let them. They're, they're into Harry Potter and many, many, many people I've spoken with interviewed have had all kinds of beautiful subtle experiences when they were children and right. they were often taught that they were just overly imaginary and you know and, and they were kind of discouraged and shut down and then they kind of got into their adolescence and felt it slipping away from them and it was very painful and and then maybe when they got back in their 20s it's, they started opening it up again but perhaps it never needs to shut down if if we are more understanding and appreciative of of what kids are um, capable of. I'd like to believe and uh, I feel that the generations that are coming, the younger generations, are much more sensitive, much more intuitive, and much more have much more access to, um, to the presence of the all, of the, the infinite intelligence of, of source. And I think as parents, uh, more often than not, our, te our children teach us more than we teach them. And again, I'm repeating, anything we can do to help evolve their soul and spirit, then, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm momentarily at a loss for questions, which is unusual for me. My mind just kind of like, ah. <laughs> Okay, uh, well. What have you got to say that I haven't been bringing up or asking that, that kind of um, excites you? The, the, one of the things you said a moment ago, though, we were talking about... Um, the children and just a simple story though mm -hmm. i've had some parents contact me can i sit with their with their daughter or their son and uh, i have sat with uh, some teenagers with their parents present and they've said my uh, i'll use uh, my son was experiencing someone in his room the other night and uh we don't know who it is well uh, sit down with them and i have a sense that it was the woman's grandfather and i said to her you know did he describe to you your grandfather and she said yes he did i said so why weren't you believing him? Because I couldn't see it. I said, I understand that, but I'm here to mention to you that I have your grandfather here. He's telling me it was him in the room. So that woman was able to walk out with her son and go, wow, so you do have a connection. And the son was able to walk out saying, 
oh, at least I'm not, you know, I'm not imagining this. I'm not making this up. And I was able to give them some simple, some simple understanding as to what was happening enough that they could work with it or not. And I even suggested to the young man, you don't have to do this. And he said, I don't want to shut it off, but I don't want to work with it actively. So again, giving him some simple guidance to learn how to deal with his sensitivity and also giving the mother an understanding of what was occurring enough that she could now listen to her son in another way. And that felt, it felt very rewarding. But anyway. I know that you believe that um, everybody has the sort of ability you have you know, in a latent form, and that it could potentially be developed. Can you envision a society in which um, the sorts of things you do are the norm? Um, or do you think that it would be more still a specialized thing, like not everybody is a concert pianist and not everybody is a great baseball player and that kind of thing? I, I'm inclined to, I've, as a, similar to what you've said, I, I feel everybody has this ability and everyone can be open and connected to spirit or God or source or infinite intelligence. I'd like to believe that as we evolve, we could move to a society uh, where that is the norm. But I, I also agree with you in students, uh, some will learn how to be a concert pianist and some will learn how to play um, chopsticks. Uh, not everyone has the same depth of sensitivity, but it can be nurtured, it can be encouraged, and it can be, um, well, nurtured, encouraged to grow and help them in understanding. Not everyone is going to be able to do it fluidly. Yeah. But and, and you teach actually, you actually teach classes in which people learn how to do this. Um, I imagine that some people take to it better than others, as would be the case with any kind of class, right? As with right, absolutely. You, you know, as with any instrument, you're you're as as the medium, your being is the instrument. Your nervous system is the um, the pathway that information moves through, and the spiritual realms using you as the instrument, your nervous system as a way of conveying the information that you can feel something clairsentiently, see something clairvoyantly, hear something clairaudiently. And by sitting with students and giving them some direction and understanding to what's happening with them while it's happening, and giving them exercises, it tries. I try to help uh, encourage them to um, grow in their ability, become better at what they're sensing, and validate what they're sensing in order for them to go, oh, okay, so I'm not making this up from a mental place, this is really happening. Yeah. Are there any <clears throat> little things that pretty much everyone experiences that they uh, don't pay any, any special attention to because they think it's just like, for instance, let me get more specific, let's say we daydream and we might be thinking about our mother or our, or our father or somebody like that. Um, do, you f do you feel that in cases like that it's very often an actual communication that we're just dismissing as a daydream or as a, as a sort of a little train of thought going through our mind and, and that if we got a little bit more tuned in we, it would turn into something more substantial? Yes and no. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for asking, this yeah. is good. So, yeah, some, there are times where, um, well, dream time alone, not, not daydreaming, but dream time alone, right. more than once over years, um, because of our level of sensitivity, because of our being quieted in our mind, and because we're in... Um, innocent, more innocent state. 
Exactly. Yeah. You know, I've said more than once over time that, you know, your father showed up in a dream. Yes, he has. Your mother showed up in a dream. Yes, she has. So the spiritual realm, I know, uh, can use that space, that opening in order to give us a sense of reassurance and comfort. So, yes. And even in daydreams, there are moments where, <sighs> you see, it's tricky. There have been moments where I feel like I've just sort of let go of my mind and I'm in a daydream sort of mind. And recently, a friend of mine in Florida recently passed uh, two and a half months ago. And I was driving to get some lunch. I was in this sort of like light daydreaming mind and she made her presence known to me. Now, it's not it's not usual that I get visits for myself because I'm in service to others. But when she showed up, it was like she just said, I want to make sure you know I'm OK. The usual, you know, confirmation of uh, her being OK and not suffering with pain anymore and moving on. But the point of that story is it was a moment where I'm driving the car. I'm not fully uh, in mediumistic mode. I'm in a light daydream space. And I was clear that she was communicating through to me. I do feel that's true for many people that in our experience of daydreaming or light awareness or a slight unconscious awareness daydream state that, yeah, mom may show up. Mom just may give you a sense of presence or reminder. Mm. Do you ever have people come through who say they're not okay? Like in the sixth sense, you know, there were people who were kind of troubled who were coming through to hey, that little kid that in, in that movie. Uh, and you hear of poltergeists or disturbed souls and that, that kind of thing. I mean, can, is it a safe assumption to say that once you get on the other side, everything is hunky-dory? Or are there people over there who are confused and in need of some kind of okay. therapy or something? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. My experience has been, yes, that there have been people who have passed who uh, recently I was uh, uh, with a woman and um, her husband passed from a heart attack. And he said in the moments he passed, he was having a what the heck moment. You know, why was he there and not with his family? Mm. And not everybody passes into heaven with this, you know, uh, choir of angels and, uh, you know, not everyone has this moment that's exquisite, but they do acclimate and adjust. So there have been moments where people have come back and said, yeah, my passing was not easy, but everything went well. And in those moments, they've also taken it a step further to say, but even though it wasn't easy, I'll just use the example because I don't remember what the man said at this point. Um, uh, grandma, my mother's mother, who was my favorite grandmother, was there to help me adjust immediately. As soon as I passed, she was standing at my side or my father. So to answer your question, not everybody has an easy passing and uh, uh, an experience in the spiritual realm that is a wow, oh my God, this is exquisite. There have been some people who have crossed over who have been like, what am I doing here? But every one of those people have been uh, shared through their experience that there's always been somebody there to meet them, to greet them, to guide them. Uh -huh. There's like so. a reception committee kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Along the similar lines, um, <clears throat> is it if a person dies suddenly and unexpectedly, <clears throat> can there tend to be more confusion when they reach the other side than if they have seen it coming for months at a time, you know? There's no, there's no simple, no simple answer format. to that one. Yeah, there's no simple <laughs> format because it, it, 
again, each to his own. Every person, based on their uh, spiritual belief, based on their belief in life after death, based on their dying experience, based on uh, many different factors, there's no simple response to that. There have been people who have had long uh, illnesses who have come back and said it was as easy as slipping off um, uh, a piece, an article of clothing. And there have been people who have come back who have said, oh my God, it was difficult. And then there have been people who have come back who said, if it, if I had known it was that easy, I would have done it sooner. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Another question. Obviously, if someone is in a really good state while alive, very clear and, mm. you know, somewhat enlightened, whatever we want to define that term as, you know, really coherent and know themselves, not a lot of confusion. I mean, when they pass over, it must be a different situation than if somebody's a drug addict and they're living a miserable, confused life and they die of an overdose or something. Okay, so I, I can't equate the two in this moment, all right, because I have had people who unfortunately have overdosed who have said it's been sublime. Uh, so I can't equate the two. In a way, yeah. Absolutely, I have some, irrespective of the circumstance. And again, that's not a blanket statement for all, but I have had the other side where I've had um, the privilege of sitting with some teachers who their teachers have come through who uh, have talked about conscious death and about how they consciously let go of themselves mm -hmm. and how they've had conscious dying experiences where it has been sublime. And I've been fortunate enough as the medium when they've described that, where <clears throat> when they've described it, I've been able to experience it with them because they're trying to give me the feeling in order to convey it to the client. Mm -hmm. That's been exquisite. But also, even I had the privilege of being with a woman who was an elderly woman who was taking me through her death process where her family, literally her children and her <clears throat> grandchildren were all in presence to her as she was dying. They were singing, um, I don't remember the song, but it was a, a Christian song, and they were holding the space for her. And she talked about what it was like as her husband was standing next to her from the spirit side of life, helping her to cross over. Mm. So, so I want to I want to sort of sum this up in a simplistic way, if I may. Everyone that's passed has somebody that greets them to reassure them and assist them. So, irrespective of circumstance, there have been people who have unfortunately overdosed, who have had um, difficult experiences, who have had amazing experiences. But everyone seems to come through with reassurances that they are okay and that somebody was there to greet them. I've had experiences with men and women who have tried to take me through or who have taken me through their death process where both family has assisted them on this side and the other side and then i've had the privilege of sitting with some teachers where their teachers would come through and their teachers described conscious dying which was exquisite mm. reminds me of when steve jobs died Right. They say that his last words were, oh, wow, oh, right. wow, oh, right. wow. <laughs> and it makes me contemplate my, um, again, I'm not looking to pass right away, but it makes me contemplate how can I do, what can I do in this life to make the, the physical departure from this life easier? Yeah. I'm not rushing it. <laughs> no, I'm not rushing it, but I, I imagine it would, if you live well, you'll die well. When the teacher that I was describing came through for the teacher I was reading for, 
the bliss that I experienced in his conscious departure, who wouldn't want to feel that? Yeah. You know? They say in the Vedic tradition that uh, your last thought at the time of death determines the quality or the nature of your next life. And, mm. But that, that last thought is sort of the distillation of everything you've experienced and, and done, deepest yeah. impression, everything you've done in this life. Yeah. I had the privilege, if I may side note, uh, mm -hmm. personal experience of when I opened to conscious awareness with uh, Samuel and Linda and I was at this retreat, I did not know at the time who Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was. Mm -hmm. and He was my um, teacher for many years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I met him in the process of becoming consciously aware with okay. Samuel and Linda. I had not you known mean you him. met him having he had died and you met his him from the other side? Oh, tell us about that, please. Uh, <laughs> that would be interesting. And he wasn't even Samuel Linda's teacher, but there are many people who, you know, were his students who are into waking down and, and trillium, as um, it's now called. So this was my experience. And simply put, I said to um, Linda at the time, I have this gentleman standing next to me. Mm -hmm. And I described him, and she said, that's fine. And I felt him, everything below my head felt like it was white, white light. Mm -hmm. And she said, just stay with the feeling. And I said, all of a sudden, I feel everything but my brain being white light. And I heard this gentleman say to me, stay with it as well. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you remember the 1960s uh, ashtrays in cars. No. Uh, yeah, I remember okay. how they were. Yeah, you pull them okay, out from yeah. the dashboard. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My mother was a smoker when we were kids. I said to her, my brain feels like an ashtray of cigarettes and smashes. Hmm. And I heard this man say to me, stay with it. And all of a sudden, I literally felt everything disappear. Hmm. And my whole being was white light. Wow. And he said, now you understand consciousness. And I the languaging, he said, you're swimming in the field of all possibilities or his, something. Yeah, to that was one of his favorite phrases. Yeah. Now, never knew the man, never met the man, never studied the man. Mm -hmm. So as I'm walking from this experience to meet my husband, John, for lunch, he was at the same retreat. He said, I was the one with the Beatles. Marsh, he uh, said that. Okay, I got you. Okay. Right, Sorry, so I don't. I, that's okay. I don't <laughs> yeah. know who this guy is. Yeah. I walk in, John looks at me, he's like, what's happened? And I said, I have this conscious awareness, this awakening, and I'm giddy, I'm giggling. I'm... And with this, I said, John, who was the guy with the Beatles? He said, oh, that's Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Yeah. He was, John was in TM also. Mm -hmm. He studied under him. He had met him once. So I immediately pull out my iPad, I Google, and the image that comes up is the man that I've been seeing the whole time. Wow. Huh, that's really cool. So it was mind-bending mind-blowing so now, again, like a, the long hair the little the beard and the whole deal the white outfit even yeah. the, the the necklace the around uh -huh. neck. yeah and i just thanked him for his presence but the point of this is again that was a personal mediumistic experience for self mm -hmm. and it blew my mind because again it got me to understand that there's so much more there is so much more as a medium in the world, I'm here to help try to prove, uh, help you to try and get comfort and gain uh, a solace and understanding that the relationship you have with your mom or your grandma or your dad continues. Even the dogs and cats that you love have crossed over and 
they show up. But also in my journey as a, a person who's working with spirituality and understanding self, I've had experiences that have blown my mind. Yeah. And I feel deeply grateful. And even in the, the work that I'm doing now, I'm sorry, am I, am I going too much? No, you're doing I'm, great. Okay. In fact, I, I just wanted to say, you said you had wanted to end after an hour and a half. And I don't want to keep you over time. So you just let us know when you, you run out of time and we'll, we'll wrap it up. But I, I'm loving this. All right, great. Because uh, I feel like I've just had a pot of coffee and I'm like, all right, here we go. No, this is great. <laughs> just, I, just, I don't want to impose or whatever. The, yeah, okay, continue. Okay, so just... Simply put, what evolved from this is some of the work that John and I are doing on a personal level with a a few people is going into a a higher consciousness group. We have this very small intimate group of uh, friends of ours, and we work towards trying to evolve and um, expand our awareness into the spiritual realm. But that's for me as personal self-growth. That's not what I'm doing for the public. But it's also helping me, the point of this is, by accessing that state of being or that ground, it's helping me become a little bit more clear with the mediumistic information that I'm receiving when dad shows up or when grandma shows up. Yeah, that's great. It's fascinating. And sorry. No, no, that's good. Keep going. Don't don't let me stifle you. Okay. So it's fascinating because, again, this is from a teacher that I didn't know, but when it when I think about it, it makes perfect sense. I said before, you know, in discussing Winston Churchill, there had to be a connection. Well, John was the one who was trying to get me to work in with this waking down and understand it more and more involved. It was his thing, and it was a way that we could share something together. So the fact that at that time, when I had that awareness that this man I did know as a teacher showed up, as Maharishi Shogi, well, it makes sense because John had a connection and John was the influence to help me to get to this place. Yeah. And I just wanted to add that stay with it would have been something he would have said. Uh, you know, if a person was reporting experience, like, let's say they had a tightness in their head or something and during meditation, he would have said, you know, stay with it, feel, feel it, don't try to avoid it or, you know, you know, just do an end run around it, just stay with it and feel it and it'll dissolve. Fascinating, fascinating. So, again, the point of that whole thing was that some of the personal work that I do on the side is also helping me, helping me uh, uh, to access more information when it comes to the mediumistic. Yeah. Uh, another question just came in from Australia, a fellow named Bruce, and you kind of just addressed this with the Marishi story, but maybe you can elaborate on something. He says... Seems like mostly you connect with people's deceased relatives or friends. What about connections with spirit guides, ascended masters, archangels, etc.? Do wisdom beings like this appear to offer guidance to people you are reading for? Okay, so again, another great, another great question, and thank you. You said Bruce, Bruce from, Australia? from Australia? Thanks, Bruce. So again, as a medium, and I'm, I'm always doing this, as a medium, it's about helping, helping to prove continuity of life by giving information about grandma, grandpa as uh, helping someone in their mind to then move forward. But in my experience, privately, there have been teachers that have shown up in the work that I'm doing, and I did just address it with the Maharishi exper- experience, that it was an attempt to try to help me understand more in my own development and growth as a medium. But for a client, 
when I'm reading individually for a client, it really is about uh, the relatives who have passed. Mm -hmm. I'm very clean and clear about that is the work that I'm here to do. Yeah, because that's why so, you're there with them. Right, right. Yeah, and that's why they're there with you, yeah. In personal experience, I have had teachers such as Maharishi at that time, and I have a, a guide that works with me with aspects of my mediumistic development that is of a different nature. Um, he's specific, he lived here on this planet, he's come to know me and uh, has worked with me mediumistically to help expand my awareness, and he is a spirit teacher, but again, purpose. Yeah. Mediumistic. I've interviewed some channelers. In fact, one of my most popular interviews was with a guy named Daryl Anka who channeled someone named Bashar. Um, do you have you ever had much experience with that with that sort of thing? Not necessarily personally, but looking listening to them and and how would you distinguish between what you do and what they do? Um, I'll, I'll Esther Hicks. Esther, Abraham, right, mm -hmm. right, world uh, well known. Um, I love what she does. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated. I've listened to some of her the recordings of Abraham coming through. I've taken in information. I have friends that work with spiritual teachers and will go into a trance state to bring through those teachers. Um, and I listen to it. I pay attention to it. And in my own work, I'm evolving towards that place as well. I keep that more for the intimacy of my own awareness and knowledge. I find it fascinating, but I always look for the practical in the process. I always look for the information that makes sense. Uh, when it's esoteric, I question it. When it's broad, I question it. Um, I find, again, Esther Hicks, uh, Abraham, utterly fascinating and very encouraging. And it, it, her work and his work has helped uh, expand my awareness as well. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, if there's any other question? Well, no other question at the moment, but I thought uh, maybe if, if you had some juicy little stories you'd like to end with, or story, or anything that you'd like to leave people with that would make a, a memorable impression, we could do that. Otherwise, we okay. can just conclude. But, you know, there's probably some really cool stories that you always like to tell that you haven't had a chance to tell that'll just kind of blow people's minds. Yeah, give me a second to access one, yeah. all right? So I went to see this medium, this is personal, this is uh, for me uh, a story that happened to me. I went to see this medium in England and uh, he's a physical phenomena medium and he's pretty amazing. And uh, in the physical sense, his... Uh, Uh, in, it's in the course of I'm, telling this, you're going to explain to us what a physical phenomena medium is. Okay. I'm not sure yeah. I know. Yeah, and I'm getting a little emotional with the thoughts of what happened. It was pretty amazing. So a physical phenomena medium is different than a mental medium. A mental medium is what you see, um, as you've mentioned the names earlier, uh, John Edward or uh, Teresa um, Caputo, uh, myself. Yeah. Um, what we do when I say, I've got your mother here, describe right. her, and so forth. Um, Physical medium is a medium that will go uh, c 
consciously, uh, cooperatively go into a trance state to allow for a teacher to step forward from the spirit side of life to allow for phenomena, physical phenomena, to occur in a seance room. Like Edgar um, Casey or something, maybe. Well, Edgar Casey would go into a trance, but a physical medium uh, in history, let's use uh, Helen Duncan was a physical medium. Daniel Douglas Hume was a physical medium. So if, um, uh, Helen Duncan being a very famous British physical medium. Um, and materializ materialization would occur, uh, physical phenomena would occur in their seance room. So that's to give you a small sense of what a physical medium is. In this physical phenomena seance, this medium materialized a hand of a spirit teacher and four people sitting around were able to shake the hand of this spirit guide. And I witnessed the physical materialization in front of my eyes. And a number of people got this beautiful uh, message from the guide that worked with him. And when I left, I, it was a magnificent experience, but on a personal note, I felt my own disappointment because I didn't get to shake the hand, right? Um, so I go to the airport the next day, I'm in Heathrow Airport flying home. And unfortunately, while I was in London, um, uh, my mother-in-law had just passed and they were waiting for me to come home so they could have the wake. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in the airport lounge in Heathrow and I hear the voice of the physical medium's guide. And she comes walking in. I can see her clairvoyantly. She says to me, hello, darling. I know you were disappointed last night. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting in Heathrow, and I'm smiling. And there's this gentleman sitting across from me sort of looking at me like, why are you smiling? <laughs> and she said, we don't want you to be disappointed. So I'm embarrassed. And mentally, I send the thought back to her. Oh, I wasn't disappointed. And she said, yes, you were, dear. And I'm like, oh, God, the jig is up. She, she caught me. She says, well, we don't want you to leave England disappointed. And she said, but you know, you already know this information. We went to the people who needed the proof last night. Yeah. So mentally, I send back, of course, I know, I'm embarrassed. She said, well, no worries. And with that, she said, we have a gift. Now, this is three days after my mother-in-law's passing. His guide, my mother-in-law steps forward. She says, Richard, I don't know who these nice people are, but they asked me to come with them. She said, now I know why they're here. And she relayed to me a message to bring back to her children where we were going to be together at the wake. I'm sitting in Heathrow at this point, tears rolling down my face, eyes open. The man across from me is looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, change yeah, his I, seat. I, I, yeah. exactly. call security. But here I am, even in a moment where I'm trying not to be in my own self disappointed, the spiritual realm shows up again with another experience and gave me the gift to be able to bring back a comforting message, hopefully comforting message to my husband and his sisters on our mother's, his mother's, my mother-in-law's passing. So it was a pretty amazing experience. That's sweet. And there's even been, well, even my own dad. When he passed, I mentally sent a thought out to the spiritual realm, you know, I don't want to see him, I need time to grieve. And simply put, three days after his passing, right before I was heading down to my parents' home uh, to finish up some 
photographic stuff with my sisters and my mom. And I'm sitting at a traffic light and my father shows up in the car next to me and I just started crying. And he said, I just wanted you to know I was okay. And um, I had been carrying grief for three days across my chest and then my grandmother showed up behind me, moved forward. She said, we've got him, don't worry. <laughs> now I know all of this, I deal with this. And he even said, I needed to let you know. Yeah. But as they left the car, the grief that I had been holding on to for the three days went out the car with them. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what the spiritual realm will do. Yeah. So you don't live a dull life. <laughs> Absolutely not. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on all the time. I deeply appreciate yours and Irene setting this, uh, scheduling this uh, interview up, and I've enjoyed my time with you, Rick. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, likewise. Um, before we close, let people know how they can connect with you, you know, what you have to offer. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, first, simply put, if people are interested in a teaching experience, the International Spiritualist Federation, the ISF, dot, uh, I think it's dot com, the ISF, the International Spiritualist Federation, is going to be doing a week-long event in August in Stony Point, New York, and I'll be teaching there. Um, my friend and colleague Sharon Shubis and my friend and colleague Bill Collar have the Inner Spiritual Center in New Jersey, of which I uh, do teach at. So um, people are welcome to look up the Inner Spiritual Center. Mm -hmm. And if they're looking for spiritualist churches in their area, the National Spiritualist Association of Churches, the NSAC.org website, uh, they could click on the directory. Do you have all this on your website, links to these things? If they go to my website and they go to the media page, links page, they'll be able to access all this information. Okay. No. And, and your website is? Sacredmessages.com. Sacred Messages. And I'll be linking to that from your page on Backup. And Irene's asking something. And it appears that uh, your readings are only in person. Is that correct, Richard? Uh, great question, Irene. 90%, uh, 95%, yes. But I do offer readings over the phone and Skype. Okay. And, um I mean, um, do you have a preference, or you you just mo most of the people end up doing it in person? Um, most of the people end up doing it in person. But you're happy to do it over the phone or Skype. I'm more than capable and happy to do it over the phone or Skype. And okay, um, okay. yeah. Do you, do, what's your batting average? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't picked up a bat since I'm in the fourth grade, maybe. Um, I'm being a smart aleck. So in my experience, I've had to turn some clients away. I've been honest with them and said, I can't read for you. But um, the way I look at it is right now I'm booking December. So that tells me that people hear about me and are wanting to try and sit with me. And if I'm able to read for them, I'm conscious. And uh, I should say I'm conscious. Of course I'm conscious. But I'm, I'm, I'm up front and I state to them, if I can't, I'll let them know. And do you sometimes but, think you can and then nothing comes through? Yeah. There are times where when I make the appointment or uh, my assistant has made the appointment and I'm like, oh, great. And when they sit down, uh, I haven't been able to connect for them. Mm -hmm. That's happened. But that's that's infrequent. Okay. Um, I have some testimonials on my website because I try to let my clients speak for my work. It feels a little awkward to speak about my own work. But... Mm -hmm. I love what I do. I love serving the spiritual realm. And for me, the most important thing is that um, I do the best that I can for the, for the, the people that uh, come through from the spirit side of life. Great. Well, that's a good little concluding point. 
Thanks. Um, so let me just uh, make a real quick wrap-up point or two here. I really appreciated talking with you, Richard. It's uh, been a lot of fun. It's like I must admit in the beginning I was thinking, how am I going to talk to a medium? Does that really fit into back But I really enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it too. Um, and for those listening or watching, you know, you probably realize that this is an ongoing series. And um, go to batgap.com and just check out the menus and you'll see everything there is to see there. You can listen as an audio podcast. You can sign up to be notified by email whenever there's a new one posted and so on. And if you're watching this on YouTube and you haven't subscribed to the Batgap YouTube channel, I would appreciate it if you just click the little subscribe button. It kind of helps in, term, in terms of uh, my the support I get from YouTube and everything if I have a lot of subscribers. So um, thanks for listening or watching, and we'll see you for the next one and hopefully many more. And thank you again, Richard. Thank you. All righty. Have a good whatever. You do the same.